Welcome to Rotopope episode number 15. I am your co-host, Sean Birch, and as always, I'm joined by the Rotopope himself, Aaron Sauceda. Aaron, what's poppin', bud? Sean, great to be back with you. Uh, nothing much, man. I mean, this is a great time of year, right? We've got uh, heart of the football season. We've got baseball closing down. We've got basketball starting up, hockey. So it's it's a good time, right? Yeah, no doubt. As uh, listener Jared out there calls it, it's the sports equinox. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm, I'm a little down tonight, obviously, because the Dodgers just went down 0-2 in the World Series. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, it is pretty damn fun overall. Yeah, no, it is. It actually... It's funny he mentioned that the sports equinox is this time of year. It's hard to argue, but I would say I would at least throw a hat in the ring for March, right? Because you've got March Madness, which I usually don't care at all about college basketball, but March Madness is a lot of fun. You've got baseball starting up. You've got basketball winding down. So, I mean, I feel like March has got a pretty strong, um, you know, chance there as well. No, which one would you prefer? Um, no, I, I'm easily going with right now because, you know, you got um, football still uh, fairly early in the season. Basketball is kicking off, so hope springs eternal for the Lakers right now, at least. Um, frankly, here's my hot take for the night, I guess. I think March Madness is severely overhyped. Like, after the first weekend, when you have all, like, the, you know, the uh, um, you know, ass amount of games, after that, dude, I'm out. And frankly, as you just said, like, college basketball, dude, it sucks. It, it sucks, man. Like, right? They, they have a longer shot clock. The guys aren't as talented. They never make shots. The defenses are all zoned up all the time. I don't – people that actually like watching college basketball kind of, like, weird me out. <laughs> now, actually, uh, it's hard to disagree. I, I like college basketball more than you, and I like the whole tournament. But that first weekend is, like, almost pure euphoria. It's almost too much. It's, it's so many games. I think that's what's so fun about it. So I'll at least agree there that that first weekend's uh, amazing. And so it's, it's a little bit of a drop off for those that don't like watching it as much. I understand um, that some of these guys get paid under the table and I'm all for that. Having said that, um, you know, just come to me when they're actually professionals and getting paid right. to do for real. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of out on college yeah. hoops. Speaking of, we don't need, we don't need to go off the rails on that, but you saw that uh, I forgot what the name was, but a relatively big recruit, um, worked with rich paul so lebron's agency and they got him like a quote internship million dollar internship with new balance which that was pretty interesting talk about expanding the pie like that was an idea that i hadn't really thought of but um you know finding a way to help this kid monetize his talents and i liked like the internship piece and it sounds like it really is gonna be a legit like three-month internship in boston starting in january where like i think he really will be working and they're gonna be working right, together I to like tell I'm, the I'm story sure i don't know yeah, I'm sure he's going to be pumping out the Excel spreadsheets and getting <laughs> coffee for everyone. Come on. Right. But yeah. I mean, having said that, I am actually all in favor of this. And I was actually thinking about it a little bit um, yesterday when I was at the gym. And I think that like my love for this actually stems all the way back to my boy, Brandon Jennings, who did this like a decade ago where yeah. he was going to go to Arizona and said he just bounced over to Europe and made some money for a year. So yep. anytime these guys can you know yeah, grab that cash, I'm all for it. Yeah, why wouldn't they? million bucks that's, that's hard to turn down i mean the downside is he doesn't really get to play much like they were talking about like, i think rich palmich we're going to try to find a way to make sure he's able to find some pickup games i'm like hey what like that's going to be the, <laughs> the training but still though i, I don't blame him I, I like the idea I, I i think i like it so much just because it's i mean i'll definitely give kudos to jennings but you know that's like that doesn't seem like that necessarily like crazy or um i don't know some like newfound idea like this is really something kind of off the wall that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise so I, I think it's pretty cool yeah, and I, I will say if this kid, I only know the dude's name, and I sound like Mike Francesa right now calling him a kid, but um, <laughs> if he ever wanted to get a pickup game in, he can come out for these Mormon hoops scams out in Boise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny that you say kid also, because yeah, Francesa's always saying that, but 
every once in a while I'll see something pop up my feed completely unrelated uh, regarding like 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 hardcore finance stuff like investment banking private equity and they're always talking about all these quote kids like recruiting and stuff like oh this kids from uh you know x college or whatever it's just so annoying i don't i don't know why it pisses <laughs> me off so much seeing that yeah i'm with you on that one even though i i just you know made the same transgression <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh anyways man man we've got we've got a pretty football centric show today. So we've got, we've got a lot packed in there. Hopefully the uh, listeners enjoy that, but I did want to take a quick pit stop along the way somewhere else. Um, with a little bit of baseball, you, uh, you wrote a piece on the rotopope.com about Clayton Kershaw. So I know this is not obviously a great time to discuss, but they did a really nice job with that. Actually. I know you and I go back and forth, but I thought you did a nice job with it, putting your points out there, but also addressing the counters. So for those who haven't had a chance to read it yet, though, um, and they can find it on Rotopope, um, I want to at least give everyone a quick taste of kind of some of the key points and anything else there. Yeah, of course. And, you know, thanks for letting me put it up on the site, but I appreciate that. Um, I mean, look, I, I did go a bit over the top here. Um, I called it, I think the title was like Clayton Kershaw proves there is no God. And <laughs> right off the bat, that's pretty juvenile, right? Like I could point to... You know, if I, if I was really being serious about this, I could point to the Holocaust or people being born into slavery in North Korea or, you know, a, a myriad of other things. Um, but, like, I think it just honestly just kind of shows that it's at this point, I'm, I'm almost like boiling over with just like how like too in deep I am with the Dodgers. And for this to happen, like every single year, like I, I kind of get tired of and I know I know you try and keep me rational about this and and, uh, and show me that Kershaw really hasn't been that bad in the playoffs. But like, as I point out um, in, in the piece, dude, at this point, it's, it's not a small sample size compared to other playoff performers. He's already, by the end of this World Series, he'll be like number eight or number seven all time on playoff innings, depending on how much more he pitches. And it just, I understand that his FIP is, you know, in the mid threes, which isn't too bad. And that, you know, he's been screwed over sometimes in the past by either, you know, even last night we saw it as defense kind of betrayed him in the first inning. Um, and you can go all the way back to when Don Manley left him out to dry against the Cardinals a couple times. But at some point, I think some of this also does come back to Kirsch. And I was just trying to paint that as a Dodger fan, it's really hard to feel good about your ace going out there um, when he has such a spotty uh, playoff track record. Yep. No, I, I agree. I think you made, I think you made some good points. And ah, man, I, last night was, was, or not last or no, it was yeah, yeah, it was last night. It was so frustrating for me just because yeah, I did feel like that first inning got away from from Kirsch, and he certainly deserves some of that blame. But like in a very practical alternate universe, you know, Freeze catches that first ball, and I think it's a lot different. So it was frustrating as a fan. And uh, yeah, I know, I know we've gone back and forth. I, I still don't totally, I'm still not totally on your side on this. But um, yeah, you, you had me, you had me pinned down pretty well last night. Actually, I was pretty down about it, and then I saw your piece this morning, which was almost like the the finishing right hook. Um, but then <laughs> I was hitting you with like the people's see, elbow for going back to wrestling. Yeah, yeah you were, man. I, I was pretty down and I felt, um, yeah, like I was starting to concede that like, maybe I'm, maybe I haven't got this all right. But then I did see a really nice, uh, thread by Derek Cardi, who I follow anyways. It wasn't just like I was out searching for this stuff and he put a really nice thread together about why Kershaw just might be the unluckiest playoff pitcher we've ever seen. So that at least got my spirits back in, back up and uh, i think i'm right. back on and that here, train, let me just so. let me just counter that real quick so and i, I don't want to go uh, go into every single point that he made because he, he makes some good ones uh, look 
for a Dodgers fan, even for Kershaw, right? You're really going to go up to him and say, hey, like, what are you going to do, man? You, you're the unluckiest pitcher of all time in the playoffs. Or do you really think that makes uh, Dodger fans feel good about going to the playoffs six straight years? And, it, you know, it looks like they're going to come up short uh, once again. Um, I don't know. It doesn't offer much solace for me. And um, even Kershaw after last night's game, like he wasn't saying how unlucky he was. And, of course, you don't expect him to throw his teammates under the bus. But he just said, like, I didn't pitch well. And, yeah. um that, that happens quite a bit, dude. So the, the most damning stat, it's, it obviously didn't even take that much research, was, you know, in the back of my mind for the last few weeks, I've been like, why do I feel so bad about Kirsch going into these games, right? Like, why am I so nervous? And it's because, dude, like, he's just way more likely to get absolutely obliterated in the playoffs, right? These are, we're talking games where he's giving up five earned runs or more. He's yep. four times as likely to do that in the playoffs. And, you know, if he gives up three runs, four runs, okay, you can overcome that, but some of these these just complete meltdowns that he's had, which was, as I put a, put it in the piece, right? It was crystallized last year in Game Five of the World Series. Like at that point, I don't I don't know how you really can argue otherwise. But you guys make some good points on the other end as yeah. well. But I think that I think that's where I, I fall a little bit more in line between you and Cardi there because. I think Cardi makes some really good points, especially with left on base percentage, which tends to be like one of the noisiest things ever. And it's just sort of sequencing. And you could almost just say maybe Kershaw has a little bit of a jitterbug when he's got players on base and intends to strand them less often. I don't know if I would buy that. I think it's a little more volatile, but I, I don't think we should just throw our hands up and, and say like, oh, you know, this home run five ball rate is way higher than regular season. So that's just super noisy. Part of it is, but I think we know that the three things that pitchers control the most are strikeouts, walks and homers, right? Cause everything else, you know, is in play. It's sometimes a little bit out of their control. Like what we saw the freeze play. So that kind of stuff is tough, but they definitely control strikeouts, walks and to a lesser degree home run. So I don't want to just completely throw my hands in the air and say like, ah, oh, this increased home run fly ball rate in the playoffs is, is just pure noise. So I will acknowledge right. that piece, but I mean the, the walks and the strikeouts are, are right in line with career averages in the regular season. So that, that part is odd. Sure, but l- let me actually build off something you just said then because I feel like it almost like um, helps my point a little bit. Um, I-, I agree with you. I think he is a jitterbug, as Torts would say, when it comes to having guys on base. And I don't think he executes quite as well. And if you look through his um, you know, his playoff resume, this has happened time and again where he'll let guys on and he'll not only give up a hit, but he, he usually gives up a home run, right? So like we saw last year with Guriel. We've seen it in the past with Matt Adams. Um, that's just kind of what happens in his playoff you know, home run rate is double what it is in the regular season. So for whatever reason, when guys are on base, he doesn't seem to be quite as locked in as he is in the regular season. Nothing else is in play other than just pure unluckiness. So I don't know. Anything else on Kirsch? No, I think that's about it for now. But let's just pray that maybe the Dodgers can get back in this at home and uh, maybe hold yeah. another shot in game five. Let's hope so. I mean, but speaking of uh, other other playoff teams, so we're seven weeks in now for football. How are you? Just want to know, like, how are your teams looking so far, and uh, what are you, what are your biggest uh, takeaways so far from this year? Yeah, um, I mean, so far so good for the most part. Um, we're both in two leagues together. One that you're a commissioner for, which was a two quarterback league. You know, in that one, my team's pretty spotty. It's a definite stars and scrubs kind of thing. Where you know, I got guys like Gurley who are obviously just balling out. Um, and then I have guys like Odell, who I think he's been fine, right? Especially when you yeah. consider how bad Eli's been. Um, and then in the other league we're in, um, my team's looking pretty good too because I was able to freeze Gurley, um, bring in guys like Saquon, who's been a complete stud as well. So I'm feeling pretty good so far. Uh, how about you? Nice, man. Yeah, I'm about the same. Um, I think it's uh, 
pretty so i i went pretty wide receiver heavy kind of a zero rb style in uh in the bigger league that that i run um that we're both in that that super flex two qb so looking pretty good made a couple of consolidating trades to ideally trade up to a little more higher end talent so i think i think we're looking pretty good there we're we're outside looking in three and four right now uh eighth place so need to uh need to improve on the record but i think we're in like number two or three in points so Things are going well there. And then, yeah, similar oh, story in the other one. I could uh, jump in there real quick. I think the listeners would want to know, like, w- what made you want to go with a zero running back, uh, um, you know, game plan, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think, uh, man, uh, I, I went back and forth. I think the reason I really like how we put that format there was, um, was I think we did, so we did 0.5 PPR, which is the first year we had done that. And so I really wanted to do a deep dive into that because that, you know, that was the first year. So it was kind of breaking new ground, never played it before. And you see a lot of zero RB proponents out zero RB, but those are oftentimes for PPR leagues. Whereas if you do standard, I mean, it's more running back. So that 0.5 PPR is like right in the middle. It's hard to determine what the best way to go is. So I don't know, just did did some analysis and on the high end running back still will be better than wide receiver. But I just figured with our deeper league, we're 14 teams, bigger rosters. I kind of wanted a higher floor of a wide receiver, given that they just have lower injury rates and they're a little bit easier to project preseason. So I wanted to put more of my dollars there and I think it's mostly worked out. I think the team was kind of lacking on some higher end talent just because we went with more of like the mid tier wide receivers, like the Jarvis Landry's of the world, T.Y. Hilton, Amari Cooper, who we since traded those kinds of guys. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, th- I think that was the approach though was their deeper league. I want a little bit more floor, more projectability, um, less risk. And so I kind of went that route. That's that's cool. I I mean that makes sense to me, and I was actually kind of toying with that idea too. Um, except for I ended up getting Gurley in your league. Um, anything else from that or um? No, no. I think that I think that's pretty much it, and I don't I don't think you can go wrong with Gurley at, at all by any means. All right. Well, um, speaking of, so look, we're we're what six months in on this podcast now, and we've been you know we've been running this thing loosey goosey a bit here, but I, I was thinking right we should maybe try out something new. We should go with a Pope decrees segment uh-huh. where I want to get your blessing on a few things that are just kind of floating around in uh, my head when it comes to fantasy football. Um, so, so, I mean, if you're down, let's uh, just jump right into it and let's get the uh, <laughs> name from the Pope. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't, I don't think I'm quite Pope decrees level, but I do like the idea of this segment, at least pretty creative and should be pretty fun. So yeah, definitely down to see what, see what I, uh, see where I can help with. All right, cool. Well, so going off of uh, the one league we're in together, I'm so far I'm six and one. It's looking pretty good. Um, what should teams like you know me or even teams maybe that are on the outside looking in? Uh, when, if ever, should you actually start making deals based on uh, fantasy playoff matchups for oh, uh, these guys? Yeah, no, this is this is this comes up pretty often. I, I think the the short answer is I think pretty rarely, um, and I think it's just because it's just not a humble approach. I think it. I think it what it's like us projecting out like what six to seven eight weeks out like as if we know exactly what those matchups will be like so i just don't think it's a humble approach i, I think it's overestimating um and being overconfident in our ability to project the matchup so that's that's the first piece but i guess if, if i if i had to consider it, i think there are situations to consider it a little bit um so first i mean it's, it's almost like an order of magnitude things though so first thing you got to do is you got to make the playoffs right so do everything you can to make sure you've got that playoff spot locked up and then once you've done that do everything you can to make sure you have that buy spot locked up. Cause I mean, th- those two things are just going to be massive in terms of increasing your play, your odds of winning, right? The, the, you have to make the playoffs and then getting that buy just gives you basically a free win. And um, right. you're, you're one win away from the championship game. So I think those are the first two things you have to do. So don't even like really think about that in my opinion, until you feel like you're, you're in a good spot for those two. 
Um, and then I guess you could start looking, but don't get too cute, like on the fringes and just trying to move up a couple of spots in the matchup rankings or whatever. I think you really have to be pretty thoughtful about who you target. And so for me, I'd still be just targeting elite offenses. And then if someone projects to have a killer schedule within that, then like maybe those guys become aggressive, get it all cost kinds of guys. So like, for example, maybe I think, I think last year it was like the, um, the saints, right? It's a very explosive offense. They were projected to have like a, a couple of home games against pretty shoddy defenses like the Falcons. So indoors supposed to be shootouts like those i will go out and target but you know if we're just talking about a couple of spots up in the matchups and you know like some shitty offense like the titans or something or the raiders i'm not really going to target that too heavily so i don't know i I wouldn't go too crazy on it but yeah if you find an explosive offense that looks like they're just going to be in absolute smash shootout spots then at least you know make it make an aggressive play for that otherwise I, i wouldn't go too ham Gotcha. And just uh, for my uh, for my two cents, I've kind of come down on your side of the aisle on this one where I've just made a concerted effort to just, you need to go after that buy because you're right, it's a free win. And if you can just get into that, um, you know, second week of the playoffs, you know, you just got to get that one. And then you're looking at pretty much, you know, making bank or, uh, you know, getting a, a return on your money for the season if you can just win one matchup. So yeah. Um, for instance, I've had an offer for like Gurley, which was pretty good, right? It's like Antonio Brown, Cooks, Greg Kittle. <laughs> and like, at first you're like, you know, this, this looks too good to be true. And I'm a little worried maybe about Gurley. He's, uh, he, you know, they might pull back the reins on him a bit towards the end of the season, but I'm not going to worry about that right now. And especially because the projections didn't even show that that was a net positive for me right now. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I don't, I don't blame you at all. I think, I think Gurley's. I mean, I think clearly not really saying much, but definitely a guy you don't want to deal away, especially with you being a Rams fan. You have another year of freezeability with him. I think it'd be, I don't, I don't think there'd be anything that would make sense for you there. It, it really has been football nirvana for me, but um, look, so talking about specific players, why don't we shift to a few guys in particular? Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, first off, let's, let's talk about Amari Cooper, right? He just got traded to Dallas for a first round pick. Yep. Um, what do we think about that one? Um, do you think he can maybe come back to life with a, a new system, a new quarterback, or is he just a dead man walking at this point? Oh, man. Okay, first of all, I mean, I, there, there's a couple of different ways to go about this. So for this year, I, I think he is kind of a dead man. I, I don't think he's going to a, a much better situation. I mean, I guess it's, I'm glad that he's out of Oakland. At least now there's some level of unknown that we think maybe you can prop him up. But just from the offensive perspective, I mean, it's really just a lateral move at best the Cowboys aren't much better. And I know that's because they didn't really have players like Cooper. So maybe they'll see an uptick, but I think Carr and Prescott are roughly similar as passers. Um, I mean, they're do their total run first team. And again, it could be a product of the personnel, but they've always kind of been like that. So uh, at least since Zeke's been there for the few years. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a run first offense. Not very, not, not particularly explosive. Prescott's not necessarily a much better passer. So I think I'm kind of out on this year, especially when you factor in the fact that he just got, came back from a concussion on a new team trying to learn things pretty quickly. I'm not super bullish. Having said that, I think this is a guy I still would be in next year. I, I, he's like the biggest enigma, but I think he's good, man. He's, he was like the one of the most can't-miss prospects we've seen come out um, of, of college. He was like a super young producer at Alabama, big-time producer, was an early declare, produced early on, 2,000-yard seasons in his first two years in the NFL. So I think he's still good. Giant enigma, obviously, but even this year um, – Supposedly, according to like some tape grinders, he's still looking good. He's he's like roughly fifth in like cushion and separation so far. So he's still getting separation. People complain about the drops. He's got an eighty-eight percent true catch rate this year. So I still think he's good to answer your question. I'm not I'm not a fan of the situation though for this year. So um, 
I might, I might look at this as a potential selling window if I have him. If someone's intrigued, especially if it's a Cowboys fan or if someone's intrigued, he's into a new situation, I might explore that. But I think I'm still long on Amari Cooper. Okay, sounds good. And uh, all right, well, I'll keep it with wide receivers then. Why don't we move over to Corey Davis? Um, is he a popular buy low um, or are you fading him a bit here? Eh, I, I don't think I'm buying, but I think I would hold or add. I think you might see him on some wires this week. I think they're, I think they might be on buy this week. I want to say, um, I mean, he, he's seeing the volume and this is, a, he, so he's sixth in uh weighted opportunity rating over the last three weeks, which is, um, Josh Hermsmeyer, the air yards guy. It's his metric basically combines, uh, target share and, and market share of air yards. So and I think he determined the last three weeks is most predictive going forward of, of future production. So he's number six there among wide receivers. It's hard to fade that kind of volume. I don't know if I'd be go out and buying just because dude, that offense is such a tease, a fucking tease. Right. I've been like the biggest Mariota supporter, but, um, yeah, I just, it's just hard to bank on them. They're so up and down and mostly down and they just don't project as particularly explosive. So I think I'm holding or adding, but I don't know if I'm going to go out and buy. Sure. And if I can just, uh, you know, if I can approach the Pope real quick with my own two, th- uh, two cents on this guy, um, okay. Just one more stat that's actually in his favor. I think he's like six in the league when it comes to red zone uh, targets as a percentage of just how you know how often they're throwing it in the red zone for his team. He's getting like thirty six percent of their red zone uh, attempts. Uh, the problem is, is as you said, he's playing for a, you know just some bootleg offense. And ever since last year, um, I've just been I've tried to just stay the hell away from anything Tennessee yeah. Titan related when it comes to fantasy. And I've been very happy with that approach so far. Um, yeah. I, I think you're right on there. Although you're, you're kind of convinced me to buy a little bit just because I, I bet you the market is kind of thinking what we're thinking right now is like, God, I'm just not, I'm not buying it. It's, it's a shitty offense, blah, blah, blah. But dude, like we've been, I think we've learned over and over again, you got to target volume. And it's not like complete right. shit volume, like the bills, for example. So I think there's something there and they did show a pretty big ceiling. And I think it was week three or week four or whatever it was a few weeks ago against the Eagles <clears throat> where I think he had like nine receptions, had 65 yards and a touchdown. So there's something there. Maybe if the market's kind of feeling the way we are, kind of tap it on him. I'd throw out some feelers pretty cheaply, and I'd definitely add if he was dropped, but um, don't want to go too ham there because, yeah, it's not a great offense. Sure. And no, and you're right. And look, like, just I know personally for me, like, I, I'm all about trying to, like, maximize touchdowns when it comes to fantasy because, I mean, look, this isn't rocket science, right? It's just, it's a major boost anytime you can get a touchdown. And that's why I'm so adamant about going Odell every year when it comes to receivers. Um, so if he's getting that much of a red zone, uh, you know, that many red zone looks, it might be worthwhile. Um, I'll uh, move on now, though. So someone that you actually own in your two quarterback league, Mitch Trubisky, um, in real life, not so great, but he's actually had three awesome uh, fantasy performances in a row. Um, can you count on him like the rest of the way? Yeah, I'm not giving myself any credit for this one. I think this was one of those cases where I had heard a lot of hype about him in the preseason. I would definitely was not targeting him. And I think I just got him in this league because I had some leftover dollars and he was one of the sexier quarterbacks left at, at pretty late in the draft when it was like between him, Eli Manning and Blake Bortles kind of guy. So I think I probably made the right choice there, but <clears throat> no, I think you make, I think you make a great point. I mean, dude, he's, he's super, I think he's still pretty raw. He hasn't played a ton of games. I think he was even, um, he didn't play that many games in college also. So he's <clears throat> maybe at best a league average passer. I think he's league average by adjusted yards per attempt, but yeah, from a fantasy perspective, I think maybe you might be able to count on him. I mean, I don't think he's got a ton of market value because I have been marketing him a little bit and no one really seems to want to bite. But um, yeah, he's got the rushing yards. I think that's the key. And so, you know, rushing yards are worth two and a half times more than passing yards. So that's the first key. And then I, I was looking at some analysis done at this preseason. And um, <clears throat> so he, he's, he's a little bit of a rushing quarterback. 
So since the merger, so 1970, uh, 76 seasons of QBs averaging more than five attempts per game, their average of those 76 QBs was 18 fantasy points per game, which would on average be like QB six. So, I mean, those attempts kind of enable a QB one finish without necessarily being a great passer. And he's about league average. So he's currently averaging about 5.2 rush attempts a game. So he's clearing that five hurdle. And um, I mean, he's got a really good supporting cast, probably one of the better ones in the league. I think he's got a pretty good scheme around him. He's got, um, I think it's Matt Nagy from, he was with the uh, Chiefs the last couple of years working with Andy Reid. So pretty, pretty creative uh, coaching tree there. And then um, just the last piece there, I, I think <clears throat> one thing I kind of like to judge offenses on is the frequency with which they pass on on first downs, um, at least like in the first few quarters before things get away because of game script. So I think they're in the top half of the league there as well, passing on first down. So it kind of leads me to believe that the coaches are putting the, the offense in a good situation as well. So, I mean, <clears throat> from a fantasy perspective, I think I think you can definitely buy what we're seeing here. Um, I just, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's like one of those, I'm fine having him, but I don't know if I'd go way too far out of my way to get him. Sure. Um, let me ask you about my boy, Bilal Powell. Um, or actually, let me ask you about his counterpart, I guess, which is Isaiah Crowell with uh, Bilal Powell. He's out for the season now. Um, are, are you maybe looking to acquire uh, Isaiah now that uh, it looks like the backfield might, you know, free up a few more runs for him each game? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's worth an inquiry, but I, I personally wouldn't be. I, I think whoever has Crowell, that that owner is going to be pretty happy with like their newfound asset value increase. Like they kind of just have found money out of nowhere. So I, I don't think he's going to be worth market price, especially I know you're a big Jets fan and, and I like Darnold too, but I'm not really dying to buy shares of that offense. I think the better way to go though, is if you kind of like getting into this backfield now with that injury is just go the, go the cheaper route, go the free route. So there's a couple guys that I like is the first guy I like a lot. And I'll get to the second guy who's sort of the elephant in the room, but I like Trenton Cannon a lot. Actually, I think that might be the way to go. He's, he's a rookie, not really the perfect prospect, but a 24 year old rookie, um, six round pick from a small school, Virginia state, pretty small dude too. He's like 5'10, 185, like first percentile BMI. But, um, dude, he's a pretty damn good performer at Virginia state. Kind of like we saw with like previous small school guys, like Austin Eckler, Matt Breida, even Philip Lindsay so far this year. Um, was like 81st percentile college dominator there, 94th percentile percentile uh, yards per carry, super fast and quick. So he's got a 91st percentile 40-yard dash and burst score, 84th percentile agility score. All these things I'm just pulling from player profile. But um, yeah, dude, he's, he's a pretty good-looking athlete, and he was supposedly kind of causing some hype a little bit in training camp preseason. Jets blog was calling him um, the Jets' new Ferrari. So I'm kind of intrigued by this guy. I picked him up in one of our deeper leagues just to see what happens. Um, I think you may have picked up this other guy though, or, or someone else did, but Elijah Maguire. So he could be maybe the real part here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, he's just more of an unknown to me just because he, he would have been intriguing, but he's coming off IR. I think it's not even this week, but next week from a foot injury, there was just more unknowns. I'd rather just see what cannon does this week. Um, <clears throat> he's got a chance to potentially wrestle a role. I don't think Crowell's much more than just a guy. So I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by cannon. So I, I grabbed him. And that's the way I would play it, though. Go with the free guys. Go pick up Elijah McGuire. Go pick up Trenton Cannon. Don't go nuts on him because it's not necessarily explosive offense, but that might be the the better way to play it in, in deeper leagues. You're right. I am a bit of a Jets. I wouldn't say homework because I'm not from New York, but I, ever since I got Darnold, I've been kind of, uh, I don't know, you know, I've been on the bandwagon, I, I, I guess. But um, even I didn't know about this Ferrari dude that you just mentioned up until about, <laughs> you know, 10 minutes ago. So um, <laughs> I'll see if they're still available, I guess. Um, yeah. What about so, so going to some guys actually that that do have a bit of name recognition though? Um, any of these like big name ish guys who are so far getting under six targets per game, 
any of these guys you're looking to acquire on the season, and I'll just rattle off a few. You got Tyler Lockett, you got Sammy Watkins, you got Josh Gordon, and you have Larry Fitzgerald. Any of those guys pique your interest? Eh, this is a pretty uninspiring list. Having said that, I'm yes on Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon. I'm actually really intrigued by Josh Gordon. First of all, there, there there's no analysis needed to know that's a pretty explosive offense. But uh, furthermore, I think his snap share has increased three weeks in a row now. Um, his weighted opportunity rating has been going up. His routes run have been going up. This is actually someone I've been trying to acquire in a few leagues. Um, definitely interested here. Uh, the other guys, eh, I mean, Amari Cooper, we kind of already talked about him. Tyler Lockett's been pretty touchdown dependent. I'm actually trying to get away from that Seahawks offense. Very run heavy, not particularly explosive. Um, Sammy Watkins, explosive offense, so somewhat intriguing, but he's probably at best the fourth option there. So still good enough to be, you know, kind of like a flex play, but hard to see much more without injury. And then Larry Fitzgerald, I mean, I don't know. He, he was hurt early on. He might be getting a little bit stronger now but still not not particularly intriguing offense i i think it's it's all josh gordon here and the, the other guys aren't even close yeah and i know you're into josh gordon because you've been offering me shit deals for him for the last week or two but um right right I mean, I think I offered, like alan robinson yeah well what about fitzgerald though man like they got a new offensive coordinator now you know they got your boy rosen like yeah i, don't know. I like rosen I, I, I like rosen but no i, I i'm not that intrigued i I'll take him for free. I guess I think I saw him get dropped in one league. So yeah, I, I guess I'd give him a shot if I needed someone, but um, otherwise I'm not particularly interested. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I think for, for now, at least that's all I got for you when it comes to decrees that I was looking for, but I'm um, uh-huh. looking forward to revisiting this again in the future. So, okay. Well, I have a question for you actually is going back. to we talked a little bit about some of your early takeaways, how you've been doing something like you've been doing pretty well, but Surely you had to have missed on something, whether it was something you didn't go ham enough on or you just flat out missed on a guy. Uh, so what's, what's been your biggest tilt so far this season? Sure. I got a couple for you. Um, the first one, and in my defense, I guess, it would have been hard to keep him because I used my one keeper on Todd Gurley who came at a really nice price. But you know, I could have got Adam Thielen somewhere around 20 bucks as well in one of the leagues we share. And I kind of zigged when I should have zagged here where I kind of wanted to stay away with the new quarterback coming in. I didn't know if he would maybe establish a better rapport with uh, Stefan Diggs. Um, but instead, you know, Thielen's on pace for, you know, one of the best wide receiver seasons of all time. And I kind of uh, made a boner on that one. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good one. I feel like that happens to me in baseball sometimes too, where I have the opportunity to free someone for whatever reason, don't. But then for some reason, I'm not like particularly in on them during the draft, even though I was considering freezing them at a similar price. So yeah, yeah that, that is kind of a big, uh, uh, that definitely is a downer. But hey, I mean, you definitely made the right decision with uh, going girly. And I don't think it was just me or, or you, right? Like it seemed like our entire league, uh, both of them were a bit pessimistic when it came to Thielen this year. Um, cause I think he went for only $28 in one of our leagues and, you know, approximately the same price in, in the other. Yeah. So um, I, I think, I think in one of you're right, he went for 28 in the one that you could have frozen him for, but he did go for a pretty solid 36 in the other one, which was okay, actually pretty solid. And I remember being in on him, uh, certainly above 30 and it kind of just went back and forth for a while and then just eventually bowed out at, at 36. So, um, but yeah, I think it still, regardless, it would have been hard to predict, um, this season coming, but no, I, I definitely thought he was good. I just didn't think you would necessarily take a, an additional step forward. Oh, right. I mean, look, it's hard to anticipate he's going to get every other pass thrown to him, but I mean, that's yeah. been the case so far. Um, yeah. the only other one I'll throw at you then, um, and I, and I feel like I, I really kind of messed this one up because it was like right under my nose is 
I kind of wanted to stay away um, for the most part from Rams receivers this year, just because I didn't really know how it was going to shake out. Right. And, you know, they have three pretty studly guys between Woods cup and um, um, Brendan cooks. Uh, and I, I just kind of want to see how it shakes out, but actually I probably should have went the other way and assumed that, you know, Goff's had another year in the league. He's got another year with McVeigh. and first off, they're not going to bring in cooks and then, you know, just use him kind of in a Sammy Watkins role. He's a little more versatile than that. And w- Woods in the second half of last year was stellar as well as cup. So I probably should have just, you know, bet on them to keep growing a bit. And so far, if you have those guys, you've been killing it. No, dude, absolutely. And actually, on the on the last podcast I did with a coworker of mine, Nick Firestone, we we had this similar question we were talking about. My biggest tilt was the Rams wide receivers for several reasons, but dude, for for almost all of them, the, the same ones that you talked about is I think I just underestimated the the progression that the Rams would make as an offense. I think I maybe dismissed it as that was potentially just kind of like a one year McVay's first year, kind of caught everyone off guard. This year, you know, they'll still be good, but won't be quite as explosive. But dude, they've taken a whole nother leap. So that, that was my first tilt was just underestimating McVeigh and, and Goff in the offense and big, big mistake on my part. But I think another piece of that was, yeah, similar as you, fading the wide receivers. First of all, they weren't very expensive in any drafts that we were in. I remember uh, Cooks, for, uh, for example, went for like $15 in one. I think Woods and Cup were both sub 10. I mean, just kind of ridiculous pricing. So it's not like it would have been that expensive to find out. So that, that was another piece. The last piece there that I keep kicking myself on is, um, you know, I, I tend to like to have a pretty analytical draft process and so uh, one thing that i do is i just ran some quote like optimal drafts to see what you know what the projections thought and dude robert woods was a guy that kept showing up on every single one of those drafts and i just kept dismissing it like yeah i got i'm not really buying this um so yeah basically everything was telling me to buy robert woods at all costs in every league um yet i didn't listen so pretty pretty big tilt for me there as well um, what do you say? Why don't we move on? I guess uh, I mean I could probably go through you know ten other guys that I completely just you know effed up on, but um, I wanted to ask you just some rapid fire you know buy sell hold kind of guys here, um, and then maybe I'll give you um, you know a comment or two sprinkled in here. Um, go ahead and you know give me your thoughts here on Zach Ertz. Yeah, dude, I, I I'm I'm curious what people think about him. Dude, he's he's basically like uh like having a wide receiver one essentially a borderline wide receiver one in your tight end slot every week. He's fifteenth in expected points per game, and that, that's among all players. Twelfth uh, in in weighted opportunity rating among all tight ends and wide receivers, and just like first among tight ends by a long shot, not even close. <laughs> so, dude, it's yeah, I, I'm I'm looking to see if there's any way I could acquire him anywhere. I doubt it, but you're you're basically being able to have like this cheat code wide receiver in your in your tight end slot. So if you can, definitely find a way to get Ertz. Uh, what about Tyreek Hill? And I'll give you uh, what I think of him, which is clearly he's a scumbag. Um, I would never roster him. Just it, uh, Look, fantasy isn't that important to me. I, I want to be able to cheer for these guys. And he choked a pregnant woman, so he's kind of yeah. automatically out for me. But I'll put that aside for a moment, if possible, I guess, and just ask you, would you want to acquire this guy pretty much at all costs? Yeah. <laughs> I think I think you I think you put it pretty well. I, I definitely would not really want to roster this guy just for for who he is. But um, just to answer your question from a from a pure fantasy perspective, I think if you know he wasn't a scumbag, I think he would definitely be a kind of guy you would want to get everywhere you could, just because he's kind of seeing pretty good volume. I mean, not not elite volume, but just the level of explosion that that offense has with Mahomes and all of the weapons that they have and the way that they move the ball and, and the defense is, is starting to play up a little better, but not the best defense. So it's going to force them to continue 
passing and staying and using their offense to, to win games. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's a guy that you'd buy everywhere you can as it is. He's 25th in expected points per game, but, uh, and 13th in, in weighted opportunity rating. So the volume is there to set a really nice floor, but I think he's just got absolute like weak winning ceiling. So yeah, definitely, definitely someone to, to go grab. What about a guy that we both, and I don't like using this word when it comes to other humans, but just for fantasy purposes, I guess, uh, we both own Jarvis Landry. Um, what do you think there? Is he a buy, a sell or a hold? I think it's definitely a buy. Um, so he's still eighth in expected points per game, still the least efficient wide receiver relative to expected points and volume. So that's kind of the downside. That's why he hasn't really performed all that well. Did have a good game last week. Was admittedly a weak secondary, but I think it's just, you keep buying the volume. And I, I think Baker make Baker Mayfield is good, man. The narrative is that he didn't get any first team reps this ass off season. I have no idea why that would be the case. Hugh Jackson's an idiot, but anyway, supposedly there's not necessarily the greatest rapport between him and Jarvis. So I'm definitely right. buying the volume. Um, and yeah, if any if anyone's looking to sell, I'll I'll definitely buy. Yeah, and uh, for what it's worth, I'm definitely holding on him because uh, just for the near term, he actually has a really juicy schedule coming up. Um, and just you know, looking at the at the numbers, right? Like he's still he's top five in the league in targets. He's yep. getting a ton of red zone targets. Um, and going back to what you said about Baker, um, it's a, it's a bit ironic, I guess, right? Because Baker was touted as this you know very accurate passer in college, which he was. But for whatever reason, him and Landry just haven't been on the same page. And that's kind of backed up by the stats, right? So, for instance, for, like, yards per target, like, Landry's, like, I think second lowest in the league, right? And that just shows that, you know, they're throwing it to him so much, but they're really actually not getting that much out of it so far. Yeah, And I, I would expect at this point he's still been pretty good on the season. So if that's the floor, um, I'm feeling pretty good about that. No, I would agree. I think I think in in the thing about efficiency is you definitely want to fade efficiency. Just keep an eye on it if efficiency is what's driving playing time. So, for example, his counterpart Antonio Antonio Callaway had been like the least efficient wide receiver, turning <laughs> his targets into virtually nothing. Right, we're starting to see his targets get phased out just because I think they're mm-hmm. they're not wanting to keep feeding him that volume. But it looks like Landry's volume is still there. I think he's seventh in, in weighted opportunity rating over the last three weeks. So even when you just isolate those last three weeks, he's still getting the volume. I think he's absolutely a buy. Sure. And I think just uh, building off that a bit, I mean, it makes sense why also, right? Like Landry has a uh, proven track record, so they're going to give him a little more rope and they, they, they did give him a pretty big contract as well. So a rookie coming in, he's not really delivering yet. It makes sense that they're actually going to be looking elsewhere pretty quick. Yep, definitely. Um, what about Tarek Cohen? Um, <laughs> he's uh, had a pretty nice three-week stretch here, kind of mirroring his quarterback. Um, he's had 26, 19, and 18 in the last three weeks. So buy, hold, or sell for him. I'd be curious what people think about him because I feel like he's he's not necessarily the sexiest player, but he has been playing really well recently. Um, and not only that, I mean, he's just from a real-life perspective, he's Trubisky's second most productive target by adjusted yards per attempt after Trey Burton. So, I mean, Trubisky's got to like targeting him because they're they're – getting production every time he targets them, it seems like. And in the last three weeks, he's seen eight targets, nine targets, and 12 targets. I think he's led the league in, in each of those weeks. So after starting the season with only four, one, and three for the first three weeks, I think you were definitely worried. I would be buying if I could. <clears throat> I don't know if... I don't really know what the market's feeling on him right now. It's probably at least worth uh, you know testing the waters. So I, I would be buying, but I'm sure his owner is super happy right now. So it, it might not necessarily be something uh, conducive to a deal. Uh, a couple other guys I want to get your two cents on. Uh, and I keep saying two cents tonight, by the way. I, I don't even know what that phrase really means. I, I should probably just nix it. Um, Stefan Diggs. Um, you know, we talked about Thielen earlier, and he's you know clearly balling out. But uh, what about Diggsy here? Oh, Diggsy. I, I love Diggsy. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think Thielen's definitely getting deservedly all of the all of the credit. But um, dude, I mean, over the last four weeks, Diggs is only two targets behind him. He's right there. He's just basically right there with him in terms of expected points too. So from an expected production standpoint, he's right there with Thielen over the last few weeks. He's probably more explosive. I, I'm definitely a huge fan of Diggs. He's still 13th in expected points per game. And this is across all players. Uh, 15th in weighted opportunity in the last three weeks. So the volume's a little bit down, but um, still good. And he, dude, even just this last week, he actually led all players in, in total expected points. So Diggs, he's a, a, a big time buy for me right now. I think I even got an offer for him today. I think other people are, Sensing he's a buy low, I don't see why he would be a buy low. But if anyone's doubting it, definitely go buy at any discount. What about Keenan Allen? Um, I definitely have mixed emotions. I'm, I own him in one league. Um, yeah. You're a Charger fan, but you are first and foremost the Roto Pope. So yep. give me the buy sell hold on him from a fantasy standpoint. Ah uh, man, this is a tough one because this one really pains me as well. Because um, I'm a I'm a big Cal fan. Why saw him play at Cal? Big Charger fan. I think he's a buy, but I hesitate a little bit. I think I would want a little bit of a discount at least. Um, and I think the reason why, I think the volume is still there and it is an explosive offense. I, I think I tweeted out something this past week that I saw that Philip Rivers is leading the league and adjusted net yards per attempt. He's really been kind of like a uh, MVP candidate that no one's really paying a ton of attention to driving a, a pretty explosive Chargers offense. So this is a way to get a, you know get a piece of that. But... Um, he's still only 41st in expected points per game, um, 17th in weighted opportunity rating for the last few weeks. So still good, good volume. But I mean, just the way that they're starting to use their running backs in the passing game and at least kudos to Anthony Lynn and, and the staff. Cause I think before the season, they said they were going to do it and now they actually did it, but they've been feeding like Melvin Gordon as basically their wide receiver too. When he's healthy, Ekla has right. been in, involved and they just force feed those guys in the red zone too, especially, especially Gordon. So unless that changes, I don't really know why it would, um, but unless that changes, that that does give cause for concern. I think one way we're seeing this show up in the numbers is that uh, last year Keenan Allen was number three in, in red zone target rate. Yep. This year he's number fifty five. So <laughs> typically you, you kind of fade those sort of numbers. They they tend to be super noisy. Um, you wouldn't want to bank on it. But just I don't know. Based on watching the games, it, it seems like it is somewhat of a strategic thing that they're doing. So I definitely would buy to answer the question, but I I, I wouldn't buy at all costs. And I think I would want at least a little bit of, of a discount to kind of protect the downside. But no, I think still you're you're getting a a, a really good player. I think he did kind of similar thing last year, anyways, where it started off solid but not spectacular the first six weeks or so, and then just took off right. the rest of the season. So explosive offense, good quarterback, number one target buy try to get a little bit of a discount due to the concerns about scheme and, and potentially less red zone usage. Yeah. And uh, I'll just keep adding to the bad news for a moment. Um, frankly, I don't really know what the hell to do in the league. I own him in, right. I don't know if I should be really shopping him. Um, but a couple other things to just build off the, you know, this season is different narrative here. Um, so you mentioned the red zone targets, right? He only has five on the season and that puts him behind, you know, Melvin Gordon, as you mentioned, who's been getting way more um, looks from uh, from Rivers this year. Puts him behind Mike Williams, and it's only one ahead of both uh, Austin Eckler and uh, you know old ass Antonio Gates. So the more uh, egalitarian offense that they've been going for this season it certainly has kind of come to fruition so far. Yep. And one more thing that made me so you know bullish on him before the season was he was like a total target hog last year, as you like to say, and. You know, he's averaging eight per game right now, which is still pretty good, but that would put him at, you know, about 31 less uh, if you extrapolate it out for the entire season, uh, yeah. 31 less than last year. 
So two less targets per game. They're not looking for him quite as much in the red zone. Um, I don't feel great about him right now. Yep. And, and two less targets per game on a year where passing across the league is up, pass attempts, <laughs> passing yards, all of the production. So definitely not a great sign there for sure. But I, I think he's still a buy. Um, again, it's just it's an explosive offense. It, it's it's a good quarterback. He's a number one guy there. But yeah, I I'm with you. I, I think there's um, you know it's not necessarily just a buy at all cost kind of guy. Sure. Um, I think that's all I got for you now, though, okay. when it comes to individual guys. Is there anyone else you want to talk about? Well, I mean, just from a buy at all cost kind of guys, not that you could get this guy anywhere. And I don't even have a question here, but I just wanted to mention Todd Gurley. I, I know you've probably been really enjoying this from just several different angles. You probably own him everywhere you have um, a team. Um, I know you got him pretty cheaply in one league due to a, due to a freeze um, <laughs> based on last year's really prudent buy, but dude, he's currently on pace for 468 fantasy points, which would be the second most by any player at any position all time. He's also on pace for 32 touchdowns, which would be the most ever more than that LT season, which I think he was at what, tw- or no, I think, I think Sean Alexander. No, I think LT did it. Got oh, it. I think it was like 28 or so. Yeah. Was it 31 or I can't I remember, but either way, he had 29. Hold on. I can actually pull it up. It was 28. Right. I thought if I remember correctly as the Chargers. you're, player, you're right. He had 20 okay. uh, yeah. rushing touchdowns, but he had oh. three receiving touchdowns okay, as well. 31. Okay. Got it. Yeah, dude, he's he's on pace for thirty two right now. It's it's just fucking nuts. It's it's crazy. I mean, again, I don't have any question, but just how, how have you been enjoying? Like, what what have you been seeing there? Oh, dude, I mean, it's been like you know, every Rams game is like having sex for three hours. Like, I'm just on top of the moon, man. Dude, yeah. they just wedge him in everywhere. Right. So, so on the one hand, right, I'm a little worried. Like, obviously, this can't continue. You think, right? But then you also look at it and you go, well, I mean, like, why not? Right? Like, they're constantly in the red oh, zone. Yeah. And he's always getting the ball in the red zone. Like they love to feed him when they're close to the goal line. Um, two things that are in the back of my mind um, that, you know, they're not spurring me to trade him or anything, but you know, if the Rams do have like some crazy record by the end of the season, maybe they might, you know, lighten his load a bit. And you already saw it this, uh, this last weekend, right. Where they were you know, feeding Malcolm Brown quite a bit. Cause Gurley's on pace for, you know, way over 300 uh, rushing attempts and the Rams kind of strike me as a team that, you know, if they're looking to aim for the Super Bowl, they're going to want to limit those going into the playoffs a bit here. Yeah, I think that's somewhat of a fair point. Um, I, I don't think I would be worried about it. I don't think that you are, but I wouldn't be worried about it to the degree that he loses some touches. Because I think a lot of the reason he might lose touches is because that'll be part of him just putting together a really nice game with, uh, yeah. you know, the Rams getting up to a big lead and he'd probably be a big <laughs> piece of that. But I think... Yeah. To your point, maybe there would be some worry about actually sitting games like a week 16 or, you know, playing a quarter or something like that, no matter what, just because they already have their playoff um, seating locked up or something. But I, I, I don't think it's anything to worry about. I think it's one of those nice problems to have sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, real quick, if I could tie it back to the question we touched on earlier, though. So you if you know, if you were in my shoes, you wouldn't even be looking ahead to go. You know, who knows? Maybe they'll be you know 14 and one or 15 and one. Uh, maybe I should get rid of them now. Um, it sounds like this is just something that I should write out and just keep enjoying it every week. I think so. I'm I'm jaded because I also know the situation though. I know that you also have uh, you know a keeper situation with him. You also you're a big Rams fan, so all of those factors would just make it so it's like a hard no. But I think even without any of that, I think it's just a hard no. I think you just keep writing it. I don't think you get cute. I think you you know you write him to the to the championship sort of thing. Sure. Um, yeah. So you know, obviously, big fantasy salute to my boy Gurley there. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, so. We're not going to be able to acquire Gurley, almost certainly, even if we would at all costs. But I'm wondering if there's just one guy that stood out to you so far as maybe it's someone that we've already talked about here, or you know maybe it's someone off the board, so to speak. But is there one guy right now that you're trying to go out and acquire at all costs? Um, 
you know, give us something juicier, yeah. not necessarily someone everyone already knows about, not, not just the big name players. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think it is a big name player for me, though, unfortunately. <laughs> like, it's uh, it's Odell because, you know, I own him in the league that you're a commissioner for. And I think people might be a little too worried about the touchdowns being down right now, but I mean, the volume is still there, right? And he looks perfectly healthy. He's been balling out, right? Um, I'm trying to get my hands on him and I've been putting together these like shit deals for literally the last four <laughs> weeks centered around, you know, Philip Lindsay, who he's been pretty good, but you know, it's just yeah. a bunch of guys that, you know, you, you think about them and you're like, really for Odell Beckham. But yeah, um, that's someone I really want to get my hands on because something I mentioned earlier, I'm always just aiming for maximizing touchdowns here. And when it comes to wide receivers, he's pretty much in a class of his own uh, since he came into the league. So that's why I've been really trying to hammer a deal home for him. Okay. Nice. Nice. That sounds good. Yeah. I mean, I, I might be a little bit more tepid on Odell. Um, I, I like him a lot, but just, I don't know that that often stinks and don't realize I can't trust Eli at all, but um, I mean, he's been fine regardless. So definitely not a, not a bad guy to target. Uh, anyone else maybe that you're looking at? I think a lot of the guys that we talked about here, especially in that rapid fire section, I know we talked about Josh Gordon. I don't know if he's an all cost guy, but I'm definitely inquiring anywhere I can. Um, Zach Ertz, anywhere I can get him. Um, Jarvis Landry, the same. Terry Cohen, definitely Stefan Diggs. I think one other guy, um, kind of a tight end type that we didn't talk about necessarily would be like David Njoku. If I'm, I'm looking for tight end help, that window might have already slammed shut. He's had a couple of good games with Baker Mayfield, but yeah. he's the number three guy right now in terms of weighted opportunity rating over the last three weeks. There's Ertz, there's Eric Ebron, and there's David Njoku, number three. So he's seeing good volume for tight end, athletic freak, um, year two, a guy. Um, so I think he'd be another someone else I'd be interested in, in seeing if I could uh, acquire. Let me throw this at you. So, you know, I mentioned earlier how I was offered Antonio Brown, Brandon Cooks, uh, Greg Kittle for Gurley. Um, I, and I know you're you're big on Antonio Brown. I, I heard the last podcast, obviously. Yeah. Um, what would it take then? So let's say someone did offer you Antonio Brown. What's that extra piece then it would actually yeah. take for you to give up Gurley? Like w- what type of guy are we looking at here? Yeah, the, it's funny you ask this because I'm, I'm basically in the exact same spot with slightly watered down because I have Melvin Gordon in the same league and I basically have the same so, package dude, that's on like, the table. Dude, he is the watered down version, right? He plays for the yeah. worst LA team with the worst yeah. jersey. <laughs> In the worst stadium, right, right, exactly. Well, that's actually like that, that last part's debatable. Yeah, yeah, they both stank. Although we're playing in the soccer stadium that has like twenty-seven thousand uh, attendance capacity, but anyways, you know, it, it really is. It's it's a very similar parallel. And it, dude, like my my thought process has just been like, it's it's almost like hard to even like wedge all these guys into the lineup. It's just like the the value over replacement actually doesn't. It's not as crazy as you would think based on the name. So that that's when the tough part is. It's hard to replace just that high-end production, because these are arguably the top two players in the game right now from a fantasy perspective, Gurley and, and Melvin Gordon, that is, we're talking half PPR. So, um, yeah, I mean, no matter what, you're going to kind of take a little bit of a downgrade on that. I've been thinking about it, um, but I, I don't know what to do with that. I think it's it's tough because, uh, yeah, you just, there's that replacement value piece where, especially if you've got other pieces in in place, those new guys that you're getting might not necessarily be enough of an upgrade to account for that loss of like weak winning upside that you lose, especially with Gurley who has even like another level above Melvin Gordon. It feels like. Sure. Um, I mean, honestly, dude, like, again, just going back to being a Rams fan, like I still don't know if I could actually pull the trigger. And even though the, my brain's telling me I should, but you, you know me <laughs> in, in real life, right? Yeah. Anytime it comes to my head versus my heart, I always make the wrong decision and go with my heart. <laughs> in this case, I actually don't know if you are going, you are making the wrong decision, um, even from the head perspective. 
I know I'm thinking about it, though. I've gone back and forth a little bit um, from my end, and it's a similar situation because I'm a Charger fan, but I, I tend to go with my head a lot of times, and yeah, I'm, I've been going back and forth on this one a lot. It's tough. Good stuff. Um, anything else from a fancy standpoint, or what do you think, bud? Should we actually get back into our Kirby Enthusiasm Top 10 countdown? Yeah, I think we're going to Kirby, and if, if you've got yours uh, ready to fire up, we'd definitely love to, for you to kick it off. Yeah, no problem. So I'm going to go with Season 7, Episode 5, better known as Denise Handicapped. Does <laughs> this oh, one nice. ring a bell for you? It does ring a bell, yeah. Yeah, so the reason I love this one is because it really is Larry just in his complete, you know, unvarnished, un-PC, you know, just going all out here. You know, he, he's just he's just not, you know, a, a normal guy in this one. And so the gist of the episode is, you know, this is when Larry's now single. Uh, Cheryl's, you know, she's left him. And I, I love these later seasons where Larry's single and he's out there dating. <laughs> anyway, so he, he ends up meeting this woman who's um, in a wheelchair and he can't really remember her name, so he puts her in his phone as Denise Handicapped. Uh, he has another woman who he ends up running into because he, he falls out of contact with her. Then he's got Wendy Wheelchair. Um, and then he's like at one point talking about this in the show with Leon, uh, his house guest. And he's like, you know, I, I do this with everyone, right? Like I got Sean Yoga, the yoga teacher, and I have Teresa Masseuse. <laughs> And yeah. um, I, I mean, frankly, like I've done that too, right? Like when I was in grad school, um, if I didn't know someone's last name, it was just, you know, right. Charlie USC or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least for a week or two until I could plug in the rest. Yeah. Um, and then Leon, I love where he's just like, yeah, I got, I do the same thing. I got, you know, Nancy Big Tits or Janelle Sweet Ass <laughs> in my phone. Sorry, yeah. And yeah, this is pretty funny. I mean, have you do that too, right? I take it. I do not really do that a ton, but it's funny because uh, Zach Bapa's uh, friend of the pod. I think I saw on his phone even just like not that long ago, he had like Nick Haas or something like that. And that's like, <laughs> hey, you've known him for like six years now. You know him pretty well. You can just change his name at some point. No, dude, I do the same. I I have friends from like I, some people. On my phone are still from like UC Irvine and say UCI <laughs> in their name, or I got you know Andy USC Vasoyan in my phone. It's just it, for whatever reason, it's like I I'm too lazy to spend the two seconds and go back <laughs> and delete it. Yeah. Anyway, just the, to wrap this episode up real quick, I love how at the end it comes together where somehow both of these women are at the same party. I know Larry wanted to bring one of them to uh, this uh, small get together that was a, an Alanis Morissette concert. And uh, he was, he thought he was going to go in and get all these like social brownie points for bringing someone that's in a wheelchair. And then of course it blows up in his face when both of them are there and he has to push one of them into a closet to keep <laughs> it quiet. Oh God. Yep. Classic Larry. And then Disney gets ass kicked by Rosie O'Donnell in that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, nice. Nice, man. Well, that, yeah, that's definitely good. I know you've always been a big fan of that one. I do not know if I have that in my top 10. I got to check. I don't think I do, but it's definitely a good one. It probably I'm hit the honorable sense just least. from like your top 10 and reading, you know, top 10 lists in the past, which I, I just must be on like a different plane when it comes to Curb, dude, because I look at these top 10 lists. And I'm just like, how is that? I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand how mine is just like so wildly different from everyone else's. <laughs> I mean, everyone has different taste, right? I mean, that's, that's a big piece. Yeah, of it. but like, come on, like you and me had quite a bit of overlap when it came to our yeah. signed top ten, and everyone knows that like um, the marine biologist is a classic top five episode. But yeah. um, I think more scattered. I, I think part of it is that, especially if you're reading like a quote objective list or just you know just complete third party lists, like everyone has their own interpretation of episodes, and like everyone takes certain pieces away. And especially if you're within a certain group of friends that 
likes a particular episode like they, that that kind of takes a life of its own where like that line comes into play more often you just start liking the episode more just because there's that like additional i don't know like camaraderie around it almost so i think that might be a piece of it too why maybe you see more overlap between say your and my list versus just like a complete third party list that you find on some site somewhere <laughs> i i think the the ringer they put one out last year and i think yeah. they had the freak book in number one and oh, look God. i love the freak book but i mean Dude, that is nowhere close to the top spot. Like, my God. I did not even like that one that much with, um, what, what's his name? McEnroe? Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was all right. Yeah, that, that was a ghastly selection by them. But all right, yeah. hit me with it, dude. What's your number eight? One? So my number eight. I think you'll like this one. Um, and this is also, I think yours was season five, was it not? It was uh, season seven. Oh, okay, season seven. Never mind. So mine's season five. So this is definitely one of the earlier ones, relatively speaking. Um, sure. to like the rest of my list so this is um the larry david sandwich and so before i get into the <laughs> entire episode i there is a, a piece of this that i really like and that's just the scene where you know larry he he got the the sandwich named after him but the sandwich just stinks and um it's that this delicatessen that he always goes to which also has a sandwich named for ted danson so i think he just goes to meet danson somewhere because he wants to switch the names of the sandwiches because he just you know he's like danson never comes here i always go to this place you know i should have good sandwich for larry david sandwich so he goes to tell ted danson and initially like danson's actually you know surprisingly kind of in for it. he's like yeah like whatever you know it doesn't matter to me i don't ever go and then um pretty much as like the deal is basically closing danson asks you know just like what's in the sandwich and then like, <laughs> like what like what, what does that matter uh and Danson's like well, i don't know i mean if someone asks me what the sandwich is it's my, it's my name on i should know what's in the sandwich so larry starts listing out the things in the sandwich and it's just like oh uh white fish oh uh, he's got two kinds of white fish he says they blend well <laughs> it's like it's white fish and then sable and he's like what's sable he's like another white fish he's like there's two kinds of white fish and then <laughs> they are the siamese twins of white fish <laughs> yeah so they just go together like yeah they're siamese twins and then <laughs> Uh, I think at that point, Larry kind of realized he's lost him and, and Jeff kind of continues on. He's just, or I think he might've said capers. Please let me yeah. jump in there. So dude, you and me obviously have been, this has been a running joke for about a half a decade yeah. now where we just crack up anytime we think of capers. I still don't know what capers are. And my girl, Maddie White, uh, Maddie White, um, she is a few times in the last few months mentioned, you know, capers. I'm just like, <laughs> like, dude, it, like for whatever reason, grosses me out just instinctively. Cause I think of the Larry David yeah. sandwich now. Yeah. I don't know what they are. Either. I have seen them at the store. They look kind of like mini olives. I think that's kind of what they are, but dude, I have no idea what they are. They're just like these little tiny balls that sit in this jar of like some sort of liquid. Um, they're like pickled something. I don't know. They're, they're like tiny Ugh. little pickled. Yeah, I don't know what they are, but they, they they commonly go with like salmon and like smoked salmon and stuff like that. So I guess they're kind of like a nice thing to put with fish. I, I don't know. I'm not a huge capers guy myself. How much would it cost for you to actually take a bite of the Larry David sandwich? At, uh, at least 30 bucks, right? I think uh, it wouldn't take that much money. I, I would definitely do it, but um yeah. <laughs> yeah throwing in 20 bucks would, would make it easier <laughs> but yeah so <clears throat> oh sorry yeah, go, go ahead. ahead and then I'll, i just have one more thing to mention on the sandwich uh back and forth that they have honestly in my uh like in, in my head ted danson sandwich didn't sound too good either which was no. if i recall it was turkey coleslaw and russian dressing <laughs> yeah. it calls it a classic and i'm like yeah, dude that yeah, sounds yeah. like it belongs back in the old country yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. The, the sandwich trope kind of sounds like shit, but then again, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of sandwiches in, in general, like, like Subway and those kinds of places or whatever. Right. Although maybe if it was a good delicatessen, maybe I would. But oh, actually, speaking of, we did go to a really good delicatessen in, in New York, I recall, Ilya, so I did like that place. Actually, I think we got pastrami there or something like that. Oh, dead. dude, pastrami, when it's done right, I mean, you can't really top it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But yeah, so just going back to the episode, so I think he kind of lost dancing by then after he mentioned the, you know, the sable the white fish, the capers. And then at that point, you know, Larry's just kind of losing it a little bit. And then Jeff kind of pops in at the end, like cream cheese. Uh, so oh. like, there's just that additional topping. And then I think that's where dancing officially loses. Like, ah, I don't want my name attached to this sandwich. And Larry just tells Jeff like, shut the fuck up. Like, what, like, what are we going <laughs> to keep going here? Uh, so that, that was a really funny scene that, that kind of makes the episode for me, but in general, it's still a pretty good episode. This is the one that kicks off season five. So there's a lot of stage setting going on here. This is the one where it starts off with Larry. Like, I don't know what he's doing, but I guess he's swimming in the ocean. He's like about to drown. <laughs> so like he, I think eventually he has like a big wave that takes him to shore. I think someone might even help him. I don't even remember <laughs> this. Right. Um, but he ends up back on shore, kind of a life changing moment. Um, I think later in that one as well, he hears his, his dad has a stroke, right? Yes. Yes. Exactly. And then um, he could have sworn he hears his dad say you were adopted as he's going into you know, <laughs> surgery or whatever. And then that sets off a whole chain of events where Larry's trying to figure out whether he was adopted. But she goes and hires a personal investigator. And so it, it's a pretty good episode. I think that I think it sets the stage pretty nicely for the season. Yeah, that one always cracks me up because I love how Larry's like so psyched to find out he's adopted because first yeah. he thinks that his dad says he's a doctor and then he <laughs> finds, and then he says, I'm adopted and he walks yeah. out and he's just like on cloud nine and he's walking around the hospital and he's like, I, I think I'm adopted. Yeah. Why yeah. was he so happy about that? He's just because he's just one of that, you know, the curmudgeon kind of guy. I don't know. Like he says he like when uh, I think he's like talking to Richard Lewis or something later, and he's just like, you know, yeah. who, you don't know who your parents are. He's like, he's like, not those, not those crazy people. Huh, interesting. All right. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be hey, quite man, as a good episode. Um, yeah, I don't think so either. Any other loose ends for us to tie up? But other than that, I think this was a good return to form for us. No, I think so. That, that's about it for me. All right, good stuff. Thanks to the listeners out there, and uh, we'll hit you up in the next week or two. Yeah, thanks for listening. All right, see you, Pope. Welcome to Roto Pope episode number fifth. Fucking Aaron, got it. <laughs> what, what episode number are we on? That's a good question. Um, I think fourteen. Oh, let me let me go pull it up. Let me pull it up. Real quick on my phone. Yeah. We might need to do away with those numbers. We had so hard to track. It really is. Like I did that little. I, I don't even know if I. I didn't even count that one. The last one I did is like an official episode. I see you didn't. So I actually, my instincts were right. It is fifteen. If we're not counting yeah. this one. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. Let me hold on one sec. Let me go back to this. <coughs> um. Did you hear any of that? I did not, but um, I, 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 I'm assuming that was God's way of stepping in and saying we should move on. All right, yeah, yeah. All right, I'll, I'll close it out right now. God damn, I gotta cut this now. Uh, um, but yeah, no. So I think. Um,